Chapter 24. The alarm was howling, and then, a far worse sound. The human controllers had cocked their rifles, chambering around. If they fired, we'd be blown apart before we could twitch. A human controller stepped out in front. She was a nice-looking, middle-aged woman wearing normal street clothes. She had bleached blonde hair. She could have been someone's grandmother. So, the Andalite bandits, she said. Her face was twitching with tension, but she tried to sound calm. You've done me a big favor. When I turn you over to Visser 3, he'll promote me two grades. Maybe three. Or he may decide to destroy you for letting us get this far, Axe said coolly. Surrender. You can't escape, the woman snapped. I'd rather take you alive, but the Visser would still be happy to have your corpses. We stared at her and we stared at the muzzles of the twenty automatic rifles that were leveled at us. I held up my hand. Between my thick, brute fingers, I held the Pamelite crystal. The woman turned as pale as her hair. Give me that. I shook my big gorilla head. Lower those guns, the woman snapped. What? Some guy behind her yelled. We have them! We have them cold! The woman's jaw twitched again but she stayed in control. What do you think a bullet would do to that crystal? But the odds that a bullet would hit the crystal, it's not going to happen. The woman smiled grimly. That crystal is worth more than the mothership and everything in it, she said. Then she started yelling. You want to shoot? Go ahead, fool! If you hit the crystal, you can explain it to Visser 3. She got a grip on herself while the guy who had spoken out decided he was not interested in explaining anything to Visser 3. All human controllers back. Weapons on safety, the woman snapped. The rifle was faltered, then lowered toward the ground. But I knew better than to breathe a sigh of relief. See, I knew what was coming next. The woman looked right at me and smiled. hork forward. The Andalite who had given us our powers had told us that the hork had once been a gentle, decent race before they were all enslaved by the Yurks. All hork were controllers now. But it was hard to believe the hork had ever been the sweethearts of the galaxy. They were death on two legs, seven feet tall, eight if you counted the forward raked blades that protruded from the top of their snake heads. They had blades at their elbows, blades at their wrists, blades at their knees. They had huge claw feet like Tyrannosaurus, and a short, thick tail that ended in cruel-looking spikes. They were walking razor blades, all sharp edges and lightning speed. I've fought hork before, and I can count. Two dozen hork was at least a dozen more than we had any hope of defeating. Then, behind the hork beyond the retreating human controllers, outside the building, staring horror-stricken through the glass, I saw Eric. Eric, who could do nothing at all to help us, who was helpless to do anything but witness our slaughter. I felt like throwing up. The fear was all over me. The fear was surging through me, washing over me, drowning me from inside and out. We were going to lose. We were going to die. And life, any kind of life, almost, is so much better than being dead. Attack, the woman said. Her voice was nearly a whisper. 
The Hork-Bajir leapt forward, a wall of slashing, whirling blades. Right in front of me. Sue! A huge Hork-Bajir slashed, and a bright red line cut across my black leather chest. I swung my fist and hit the Hork-Bajir hard enough to fold him in two, but another leapt over him and came at me. I blocked his arm, but he kicked me with his clawed foot. I fell back. I looked down and saw a hole in my stomach. A hole! I could see the gorilla's insides. My insides. My insides. Ah! I screamed in thought speak as the gorilla bellowed in agony. The hork leapt on top of me. I swung again and knocked his legs out from under him. He toppled down, but landed beside me. My left hand went to his throat, and I squeezed. I squeezed with all the strength I had. The hork slashed at me again and opened a gash in my hairy arm, but I kept my grip tight. I screamed as the hork twitched and scrabbled wildly and began to jerk uncontrollably. The battle raged all around me. Screams. Cries. Bellows of animal rage. The garbled roars of the hork Even the guttural roars of the human controllers, who watched and cheered the hork on. I saw Jake leap through the air and close his jaws around a hork face. I saw Rachel swing her paw and open up a hork like someone cleaning a fish. I saw Cassie, dodging swiftly, biting, backing away, lunging to bite again, red foam flying from her muzzle. And Axe, striking again, 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 with the deadly speed and perfect accuracy of his andalite tail. But we were losing. It would be over in a few seconds. We were losing. Oh god! Someone screamed. Maybe it was me. I don't know. Help! Help! Look out! Now! No! It was all one combined thought-speech scream. And still, the alarm howled. I felt my grip weaken on the throat of the hork But it didn't matter anymore. It was safe to let him go. My vision was red. Red and fading. I felt a sharp stab as another hork sunk a blade into my gorilla heart. None of it mattered, though. It was all coming to an end. All coming to an end. Through a red mist, I saw a face on the other side of the glass. Eric. Somehow, in the battle, I had ended up not far from the wall of windows. Eric was just a few feet away, just on the other side of the glass. I felt something hard in my palm. The crystal. I crawled. A vicious hork kick and I went sprawling right against the glass. Oh, no, I said. I could see the damage the kick had done. I was dead. I could feel my brain shutting down. Human controllers were closing in around me, hammering me with the butts of their rifles. With my last ounce of strength, I rammed my fist through the glass. I felt strong fingers pry open my hand. I felt the fingers lift out the crystal. And then... Later, much later, someone slapped my face. Morph back, Marco. Morph back. Do it. Chapter 25 I woke up on the ground. Not a floor. The ground. Dirt and leaves. I sat up very fast. I looked at my body. Human, I said. I wanted to cry from the sheer relief of being myself again myself and alive. I looked around. Jake, Cassie, Rachel, Axe, all there, 
All human. Except for Axe, of course. Tobias was perched in the tree above us. Someone else was there, too. I heard a voice sobbing. You okay, Marco? Jake asked. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Man! I was so close to being dead. You were, Jake said solemnly. He gave you an electric shock to start your heart again. Who did? Jake jerked his head toward the source of the crying. It was Eric, sitting in the dirt with his head down. Where are we? I asked. Little bunch of trees, just down from Matcom, or what's left of Matcom. How did we get here? How did we get out of that place? We were toast. Cassie came over and sat beside me. You saved us by getting the crystal to Eric. He used it. He rewrote his programming. He's the one who... She looked away. He... He took care of the hork Rachel said. I saw some of it. I was still conscious. I was confused. How did Eric take care of the hork He destroyed them all, Axe said. I almost laughed. Eric took out two dozen hork No one laughed with me. Eric had stopped sobbing. I thought, why would a robot cry? All the hork Axe said. All the human controllers. All of them. I stood up. I could see the Matcom building. It was only a few hundred yards away. There was a big hole in the front glass. I had a very bad feeling about what was on the other side of that glass. All I could think of to say was, All of them? It lasted about ten seconds, Rachel said. She closed her eyes, trying not to remember what she had seen. But I guess the images weren't easily shut out. She opened her eyes again, and to my utter amazement, I saw tears. That's what brought the horror home to me. Rachel's tears. It was extremely brutal, Axe said. Very brutal and very swift. He carried us here. He revived you. He even reattached my arm. I saw a scar on Axe's left arm. He hasn't said anything since then, Cassie said sadly. He won't talk to any of us. He saved us though, right? I said. Yeah, Cassie agreed, smiling a deeply sad smile. He saved our lives, and lost his own soul. I went to Eric. I wanted to thank him. I wanted to tell him he'd done what was right. He'd beaten the bad guys, saved the good guys. He stood up as I came over. You okay, man? I asked him. He looked at me with holographic human eyes. Maybe he had chose to make them cry. Maybe he had chose to give them that empty, hollow look. I don't know what the connection is between the android Chi and his projected human body, but his expression answered my question. No, Eric was not okay. You saved our lives, Eric, I said. How do you... How do you live with this memory? He asked me. I knew what he meant. See, win or lose, right or wrong, the memory of violence sits inside your head. It sits there, like some lump you can't quite swallow. It sits there, a black hole that darkens hope and eats away at everyday happiness like a cancer. It's the shadow you take into your own heart and try to live with. I shrugged 
I guess I try not to think about it. I try and forget. And after a while, the nightmares don't happen as much. Eric put a finger to his head. Android, he said. He made a bitter, ruined smile. I can't forget, see? I can never forget. Anything. I looked at him. Already in my own human mind, the memories of that night's horror were fading. The flash of blades and the pain and the sickening feeling of my fist closing around the Horkbizier's throat. They were being covered over by scar tissue. What if I could never forget? What if all those memories were fresh forever? I realized then why the Pamelites had forbidden their creatures to kill. The Chi lived forever. Forever was a long time to remember what Eric had done. I'm sorry, I said. Eric nodded. Yes. He held out his clenched fist, palm down. I knew what he was doing. I didn't want it. But I held out my own hand and took the Pemelite crystal from him. I've changed my programming back, Eric said. We. I. Maybe at times I can tell you things. Information. But I'll never fight again. I can't join this war, my friend. He walked away. We went to our own homes and crawled into beds our parents never knew we'd left. I was beyond exhausted. But I couldn't sleep. Too many images. Too many memories. And I was afraid of the nightmares. There are evil things in life. And I guess there are times when a human being has to fight those evils. I closed my eyes and wandered lost and afraid through my nightmares. And already... My mind was forgetting. Chapter 26 Yeah, yeah, go boy. Homer ran flat out, kicking up divots of sand as the frisbee soared over his head. With a burst of speed, Homer got out in front of the frisbee, jumped, pivoted in midair, and snatched the disc out of the air. His jump carried him to the water's edge, and he landed in the surf. Yeah, good boy, Jake said. Not bad, I said. He's not quite the frisbee dog we saw on TV, but he's not bad. Hey, that was a professional frisbee dog. Homer's just in it for the sport. Homer doesn't even have any endorsements. Homer came trotting back across the sand with the frisbee in his mouth. It was a week after our battle for the Pamelite Crystal. Jake and I were at the beach. Tobias was high overhead, riding the thermals. I didn't know where the others were. And my hair had finally grown out a little. But I'd gotten used to having it shorter. I decided to keep it that way, just to spite everyone. There weren't that many people on the beach, because it was a little too chilly for lying out. Instead, people came down and flew kites, or walked along, looking for sand dollars and shells. And they played with their dogs. Jake knelt down and tried to take the frisbee from Homer. But Homer, like just about every dog in all of history, refused to give it up. They just don't get the point of this whole game, I said. You throw, they catch, they bring it back for you to throw again. Why is that so hard to figure out? Jake scratched right behind Homer's ear, and Homer dropped the frisbee. Oh, they know how to play the game, all right, Jake said with a laugh. For them, the game is, I throw, they catch, they bring it back, they get a good head scratch, then they give up the frisbee. 
But just then, Homer lost all interest in the frisbee. Two dogs were trotting by, tails in the air. Homer jogged over to greet them. They sniffed each other by way of introduction, then took off, running like the giddy, happy, always excited dog goofs they were. It made me smile to watch them. It must have been a nice place, I said. Jake knew exactly what I was talking about. Yeah, a planet where the people were as sweet and decent as dogs. Yeah, that would have been okay. I ran into Eric at the 7-Eleven yesterday, I said. I think he was looking for a place to, accidentally, run into me. Anyway, he gave me a phone number. He says it's an absolutely safe phone. He says the Yurks couldn't tap it or trace it if they tried. Yeah, so? Jake asked. I shrugged. So he says if we ever need him, we could leave a message at that number. And if he has something to tell us, he'll record a message for us. Huh, Jake grunted. Think anything will ever come of it? I don't know, I said honestly. But I think the Chi are going to go on fighting the Yurks. They'll just be doing it in their own way. I reached into my pocket and drew out the small, diamond-like crystal. I still have this, by the way. I don't know what to do about it. Eric didn't even want to talk about it, but this is the most powerful computer ever created. It could rewrite the cheese programming. It could take over every computer on Earth. The Pamelite crystal. We almost died getting it. What am I supposed to do with it? Jake and I stood there, looking down at more power than any human had ever held in his hand. Suddenly, I realized we weren't alone. Homer and the other two dogs were standing right in front of us, watching us. I know this sounds crazy, but I swear some flicker of intelligence appeared in those laughing dog eyes. The three of them looked at us, and we looked back. I held out my hand, palm up, to show the dogs the crystal. Homer scarfed the crystal out of my hand as if it were a dog biscuit, but he didn't swallow it, just held it in his teeth, where it glittered like a diamond. The three dogs turned and ran down the beach. They ran into the surf and splashed out into the water, paddling for a dozen feet or so. Then they came back to shore and had a glorious time shaking themselves violently and spraying water all over two old ladies who were hunting shells. Maybe, someday, the Pemelite crystal will wash back up on some beach somewhere. Maybe by the time it does, we'll be as wise as the race that created it. Homer! Jake yelled. He threw the frisbee. And all three of the dogs, happy, silly, loving fools that they were, went racing after it. Hello, Phantomorphs. Thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs auditory experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel, and we've done it. Another book down, book 10 finished. That's crazy uh, that we've gotten this far, but uh, thank you all for your support by listening and all of that, and let's continue this journey. Um, I will get that super cut out sometime this next week, hopefully, and uh, I'll see you all next week for book 11. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, 
we fight. Yeah.